0: You can leave us a one-time gift or set up a recurring general donation. Thank you for your support, and now let's begin today's message. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 5 through 10. I'll begin reading at verse 5, reading to verse 10. Then I'm going to give to you a synopsis, an update, a review, if you will, of the verses we already went through last time to lead you to verse 10, because you'll see how I have to do that in order to connect so that we get an idea of what Paul is speaking of when he begins in verse 10. So allow me to read to you verses 10 through 15, and we'll get into our study. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 10, reading to verse 15. Paul writes, and in this I give advice... It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and their abundance also may supply your lack, and there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And so we're looking at a portion of the letter where Paul is speaking to the Corinthians concerning an offering that they had promised to make to help the poor church in Jerusalem, a church that was going through tough times. And so they had committed themselves to helping the church in Jerusalem a year earlier. And uh, though they had made that promise, the promise had yet to be fulfilled. And so as we're in these chapters, chapters eight and nine, uh, Paul is exhorting them to keep their promise, to keep their word. You see, as we saw last time together, the church in Jerusalem was in need and, uh, and Paul is saying that it is the Corinthians' responsibility as well as other churches to meet that need, to be of help to them. Because caring about other people and caring about people in need, especially caring about your brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need, is a, is, is a demonstration that you really have genuine faith in Jesus Christ. You see, compassionately caring for those in need is, as, as, is part of the religious Jewish System. It was something that the Jews were very familiar with, caring for others in need, because it was part of their law. And during the time of the writing of this particular letter here, you know, the Christian church is, is moving out throughout the world and, and is beginning to practice the things that they have, they have learned from God through his word. And, and when you look at the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, you see that God showed concern for those in need. During the time of Christ, and right around the time of the writing of this letter, if you were a religious person in the the Jewish sense of the word, then you would have certain earmarks. There would be things about you that people would see that would help to identify you as a religious, a sincerely religious person. Uh, You would be somebody who fasted. You would be somebody who prayed. And you would be somebody who gave what are called alms or charitable gifts. You would be generous. So fasting, praying... And almsgiving were part of the things that made up for a religious person during the time of Christ. The problem with that is that those things could be abused so that it was only outwardly that you would do these things, but, but your heart wouldn't be really, um, really touched by the things that mattered. And that's why Jesus spoke concerning that. He spoke concerning people who prayed on street corners. And, and he said, I tell you that um, the attention you get for doing that He said, is your reward. Or there would be people who would fast. They would disfigure their faces to make it appear to men that they're fasting. And Jesus, once again, he said, "Uh, you do that so that you may be seen of men, and from men you receive your reward. And there were also those who gave their alms, their charitable gifts. And he said, you do that ostentatiously. You do that to be noticed by men. And so when you read in in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus speaks about prayer and fasting and giving, And you see that in chapter 6 in Matthew. When you begin to look at that, you'll see that he was actually dealing with the attitude of his day. But one of the things that that demonstrated that these people knew God was their charitable giving. That was something that when done sincerely, God rewarded. And so that's been an, uh, an evidence that somebody knows the Lord For the longest time. It's an act of genuine faith. And that's what what Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to, to activity that demonstrates their faith. And he's saying that you need to care for these poor believers in Jerusalem. Uh, You've received spiritual benefits from them. Uh, You ought to be uh, giving them material help because they have need of it. And so the action of, of giving to those in need is is basically something that reveals genuine faith it's found it's something that's found both in the old and the new testaments when you look in the in the old testament for example in proverbs chapter 3 verse 27 it reads do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so don't hold back when you have the ability to help somebody old testament new testament galatians chapter 6 verse 10 Paul says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as believers, Paul is encouraging them to have a loving concern for fellow Christians, especially those in need, because that is a visible expression of love, and it's a visible expression of faith in God. In 1 John, John writes about this in 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and he says it like this, he said, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. And so that's what you find in both Old and New Testament. So Paul is speaking to them, as we saw this in the first several verses of chapter 8, Paul chose to use the churches of Macedonia, northern Greece. He chose to use them as examples for the Corinthians in their own giving. Because, as I mentioned last time, uh, we can learn by the example of others. And so that's what Paul was doing here. He was using them as an example in verse 1 of chapter 8. We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, abundance of the joy in their deep poverty abounded, in the riches of their generosity or their liberality. So he used them as an example because we can use other people as visible examples for us. People can acquire knowledge through the teaching and preaching of God's word, but it needs to go further than just acquiring lecture information. And because we learn in various ways, one of the ways that we can learn is just seeing somebody live out the message. And that's why Paul is using the Macedonian church as an example. Now, he also used another Gentile uh, cluster of churches, the churches of Galatia, as an example. In First uh, Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, he said to them, concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. And so he used... Corinthian, he was speaking to the Corinthians, but he used, he used uh, Gentile churches as examples. And that gives to us insight into proper motivations when we give. And as I mentioned, and let me review this briefly so we can come to verse 10 and pick up. Uh, he uses uh, the Macedonians, but he also speaks concerning the things that motivated them. And, and he pointed out here in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, He had pointed out that it's the grace of the Lord that produces sincere love for Christ as well as sincere love for other people. And in verses 1 as well as verse 9, Paul emphasized the grace and love of God towards us. One, he speaks about the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. But then in verse 9, he says about the grace of God bestowed on us. He said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So God's love and grace direct us when we're considering the need of others. Now that moved the Macedonians, that moved the Galatians to be generous to the needy in Jerusalem because they understood the grace of God. They were motivated by grace to give aid. And Paul used them as an example, and they remain an example to this day. Because in verse 2, he speaks concerning their condition and he says that they're under great trial of affliction and they're enduring a time of deep poverty. Now, these are normally reasons for not helping others who are in need. Normally, this wouldn't be looked, up, looked at as wrong. But he's saying in, in, instead of being self-centered, you actually they actually became abundantly generous. They demonstrated their understanding and uh, their, their embracing of the grace of God. And, and this is demonstrating that because even though they were going through hard times, he said, well, it didn't keep them from giving, it actually provoked them to be generous. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 8, he was speaking to the church in Thessalonica. He said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model. To all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. When you're looking at a map and you have Greece, the southern portion of Greece would be called Achaia. The northern portion is Macedonia. So it's speaking of this region there. He's speaking of the churches in that region and that these Thessalonians had become examples to everybody. So notice again in verse 2, Paul is saying, in spite of persecution and poverty, you gave. But you gave with a certain attitude. You gave with a joyful heart. So that teaches us to give to the Lord joyfully without complaint against him. And in in the early days of our church, I thought it was funny. Some didn't, but I did. We we had uh, uh, tithe envelopes that we would put out. But I had one of our artists draw a picture of a man with his hands in his pocket, and he had a real sour face. And we put a, a circle with a line through it, and underneath it said, no grumpy givers. I thought that was funny. But I got that out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where he says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what these guys were like. They were giving in a cheerful way way. They gave with a joyful heart. That's a heart of a person who knows the Lord and understands his grace. And in in verse 3, he said, they not only gave according to their ability, but actually gave beyond their ability. They gave to the Lord first, and they gave sacrificially, and they were generous. When our church was young, once again, we began to see that sometimes in, in the fellowship here in our church. We began to see that sometimes during the Christmas season, um, there were families that were really not in the financial position to be able to to give a gift or two to their children, and we we came to be aware of that within the first few years of the church. And so, I I, I said, you know what we need to do, guys. You know we have we have children in our church that that aren't going to have you know uh, presents for Christmas. I said, let's Let's apply for them. So I brought it to the church, and I said to the church, I said, you know, we've got kids here that don't get Christmas presents. I, I wonder how many of you had went through a Christmas or two without presents when you were a kid. I did. You know, I went through times when we didn't have any, my dad, my mom was sick. My dad was paying doctor's bills. We didn't have money for, for Christmas. We, You know, that was kind of an extravagant thing for us. And so I could remember that as a kid, going to a friend's house and and seeing a Christmas tree with presents under the tree. And and I went home, and I didn't want to bring my friend into my house because we didn't have a Christmas tree. We didn't have Christmas presents. We couldn't afford to. My mom needed My dad needed to pay my mom's medical bills, and that's how I grew up, and there were things like that. So when I grew up and became the pastor here at the church, I said, you know, there are kids out there who don't have presents. Let's do something as a church for them. And so we did. The very first time we did that, we gave them presents and things, and I thought it was a blessing to do, and it was. But then I found out that some of the people people in the church were giving away toys that they were going to throw away. So kids were getting like teddy bears with with one button for an eye and no eye there, and they were messed up. And and so I came up, uh, and I said, no, 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 that's not what you do. You give to your children, you give to other people's children what you would give to your children. Would you go out and buy a beat-up teddy bear for your kid? Maybe you would, but you're cheap. I wouldn't. (laughs) So I had to have a talk, a heart-to-heart with our church the next year, and I said, when you're out buying Christmas presents, buy a present for a child that you would like your own child to get. Isn't that the way we should do it? Do, to do it to others as you would have them do unto you? Isn't that how we're supposed to do it? Well, see, some people are grumpy givers. And 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 Paul says, no, that's not the way to do it. You guys were going through affliction. You were going to tough times. You were having difficulties and all of that. But what you did is you gave in a sacrificial and a generous Way. Why is that? Why did they give like that? Well, because they understood that their treasure is in heaven, and they knew that their, their giving is recorded in heaven. Their giving uh, to care for those in need is going to be rewarded one day. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, Paul said to the, uh, the Philippian church, he said, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel... When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Your gifts actually go into a heavenly system where God rewards your generosity. And they knew that. Notice again in verse 3 that they gave willingly. They were not coerced. They weren't made to feel guilty. They were not being manipulated. They gave willingly. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 25, verse 2, it reads, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. In verse 4, Paul said that they had begged him with much urgency. They were motivated by love. They were motivated by concern for others. They were aware of the hour. And they knew that it was time to move. That time was now, not later, when it might be easier or more convenient. The need was urgent. They've been delayed almost for a year. And so they need to move quickly. Now, how did they do that again? In verse 5, I pointed this out. How was it? What was the attitude, the motive? Well, it says, this they did, not as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. So you give yourself first to the Lord, and then you are free to give to others. Giving first is to reject the inclination of our old nature, which desires to get first. And all of this is grounded on God's grace that's been revealed in Jesus. And that's what he pointed out in verse 9. When he said, God has enriched us in all things, and so we respond with generosity. And so that's what's leading up to verse 10. And in verse 10, he continues by saying, and in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. And so I'm giving you advice. Notice verse 10. Uh, This is a gentle way of giving counsel. He's not giving a specific command. Notice, he says, in this I give advice. And so do what you've promised you're going to do. You see, over the course of a year, Many things could have transpired that was hindering them from keeping their promise. But the Corinthians had made a promise. The Macedonians had also. And then when you look at it, the Corinthians had made their promise earlier than the Macedonians. But the Macedonian churches kept their promise and the Corinthians had not. And so his, his advice is that they fulfill their promise and he says it's for your advantage. The word advantage, when he speaks of it that way, it's for your well-being. By, by keeping your promise, you're safeguarding your honor, and you're safeguarding your reputation. This is an exhortation for them to have integrity. Resist the temptation of selfishness. A year has transpired. They haven't made good on their promise. They began, but it taken almost a year, and they haven't kept it. You see, beginning and desiring... We're not enough. Promises have to be fulfilled, not broken. And the desire was present, but they failed to keep their promise to help. You know, you can see a need, and you can truly desire to help. But though you see the need, desire to help, and even say to somebody, I I think I want to help them, you can still fail to follow through. You might begin to reconsider You've made that promise, but you start counting the cost. And you think, I'm not quite sure I can do that now. Or somebody may speak to you and say, you really shouldn't do that. Isn't that kind of unwise? And so you may reconsider. You might count the cost. You might be having people advise you not to do it. But Paul's advice is follow through. Follow through with what you determined and what you promised to do. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 Verses 4 and 5, the writer says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. And so he says in verse 10, he says, in this I give advice, it's to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, verse 11, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That there was a readiness, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. Just because you made the promise doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep it. It's one thing to say you're going to do something, but it's another to actually do it. Again, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 23, 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. It would be sin to you. Desire is good, but fulfilling the desire is what matters. Notice verse 12. If if there is first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has and not according to what he doesn't have. Now, Paul already had mentioned they, they gave willingly. They don't give by coercion. And giving is always done willingly. It speaks of readiness to give. And a willing and a ready mind is what God desires from us. But the offering, he said, is accepted in this way. It's accepted according to what one has. His gift is accepted by God in proportion to the largeness of his heart, not the amount of the gift. God expects us to give out of what we have the ability and power to give. And that includes all believers, as the Macedonians have demonstrated. You know, I've noticed this, and I I think it's still as, uh, as common as it was when I first noticed it, Several years ago, but there are people who like to give what they call faith pledges. Have you ever heard of that? The term faith. How many of you have heard that? So I know who I'm talking. Okay, see, a lot of you haven't. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll explain to you because I'm always assuming that you've you've seen these things, and and many of you haven't. Almost all of you haven't. A faith pledge. You ever seen a Christian TV program? How many have seen TV Christian? I want to know who I'm talking to. Well, a lot of you don't watch TV. That's good. Well. There are TV programs that they have telethons, and so somebody will come up who's a, kind of a high-powered person, real pushy, and and will tell you to send your money in and send your seed faith in. You know, if you give a dollar, God will give you 10 times or sometimes 100 times more. You, many of you have heard that before. If not, that's that's good, because they rip people off all the time, you know? I've heard plenty of them. I remember one time, must have been probably forty years ago, thirty-five, forty years easy. We were Marie and I. I was in the front room. And I turned on the TV. It was uh, it was during the the week. Uh, I was I wasn't at the office at that time yet, and there was a TV program where the guy was promising you all kinds of stuff if you send him money. And I out loud. I said, out loud, I said, that's a ripoff. They're ripping those people off. And I got really upset. And my wife, I didn't know Marie heard me. Marie was the other room, other room. And she came in for a second and walked out of the room. I said, man, they're ripping those people off. And I hear her on the phone. She called the number on the screen. And she says, I want you to know you guys are lying to people, your rip-offs. Then I hear her say, yeah, you can pray for me, pray for me, but I'm praying for you. You know, we feel very strongly about those things. I didn't know my wife was such a wild child, but she does too. <laughs> Ripping people off, and they call them faith pledges. So send your gift to God. He's going to give you 10 times. I, I received, oh, I shouldn't go. Here. I'll go here for a minute. Uh, <laughs> I people, they were sending watermelon seeds out. They said, even as a watermelon has a lot of seeds, if you give us a dollar, you're going to have your money multiply like, like watermelon seeds. So they're sending watermelon seeds to you so you can plant them and have lots of watermelon. I guess you pay your bills with a watermelon. I don't know. But they, they do that. There's so many gimmicks, right? Well, there are some people who give their faith pledges. And they'll call up, and you'll see the people say, praise the Lord. You know, Bob from Albuquerque, New Mexico, just pledged a million dollars. Well, Bob didn't have a million dollars. Bob was just saying, if I had it, I'd give it. That's a faith pledge. Paul is is saying, don't pledge what you don't have. Don't give what you don't have. You're supposed to give out of what you already have. Because sometimes people want to give, at least they'll say that, but in fact, they don't have it in the power to do that. And so he says, God accepts that, accepts what from what one has. God will bless you for that. There's no reason to make some extravagant faith pledge. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 17, every man shall give as he's able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. See, this is what God uses as a measuring rod. The amount isn't the issue. The willingness and follow-through is. Notice he says in verse 13, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. The entire burden of giving should not be on just you or a few of you. You see, perhaps some in Corinth were grumbling. We have our problems, yet he's saying give. But, verse 14, he says, but by equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there be equality. I was in India a number of years ago now. I spent 16 days in India ministering. been there twice. I've been 16 days once and 12 days the other time. The first time I went to India, we went and saw pretty much... Uh, much of the of the country we flew into Bombay, then we went up to New Delhi, then we went to a place called Madras, then we went south to a place called Trivandrum, and then came back up to Bombay. So we went through and saw quite a bit of India. We were in the south in an area that is where most of the the, the Christians in India live in the south, and we were in the south and and uh, we were speaking. I was speaking at, 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 at uh, a church and a conference and things like that. And uh, so I got up early in the morning, and it's at, at the seashore in the south. And it was like, you know, 6, 6.30 in the morning. I remember standing at the, at, at, by the water, and I saw these men who were out in the water in a semicircle, and they were practicing safe distancing. They were <laughs> in a semicircle. And I'm standing there looking at them, and they're like knee-deep in the water, and they're all standing in this semicircle. And as I was looking at them, I began to wonder, what are they doing? And so one of the Indian uh, friends of mine uh, approached me and said, uh, um, you wondering what they're doing? And I said, yeah, I am. What are they doing? They're just standing out there at the water. And he says, if you look closely, you'll see what they're doing. He said, those are fishermen, and they're net fishing. He said, and if you see the spaces between each one of them, they're holding a net. He says, you just can't see them from this distance. They're all holding a net. He said, everyone from one end all the way to the other is holding a net. He said, they threw the net out this morning, and they're catching or bringing their catch in right now. And he says, watch what they do. And so you watch them, and they all began to move, and they were synchronized one step at a time one step at a time, as they walked back, synchronized. Because what they were doing is they were drawing the nets, and the fish were being caught in the net. And as they were drawing it, they were catching it. And they were bringing in a great catch of fish. You see, when our church first began, and we have it still posted in various places, it was on our bulletin, and I know it's still there in various places, it says, Every member of minister, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. That's one of our foundational scriptures in the church. Every member of minister. And I brought that from day one, telling the church, the first 30 people who are here until where we're at now, I told them, I can't do all the ministry that God would have us to do. I can't do it all by myself. I have to train people. I have to have help, or we'll never do it. And so I put on My bulletin from the beginning, every member of minister, we all pull our own weight. And so when I was standing there watching them draw the fish, everyone taking a step in, they were synchronized, taking a step, pulling, taking a step, pulling, that the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, that's how the church is supposed to be. One man can't pull in that draft of fish. Ten men can't. It takes an entire team working together, pulling in unison And that's what ministry is, and that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying it isn't right. And no, I'm not saying that you should carry the burden that others are not willing to carry, but you all should carry your own share. Some can carry more. Some have to carry less. But everyone can carry something, and that's the point he's making. And so, no, I'm not saying you should bear the burden. You should should just be part of the solution, you see. When the gift goes to, to the church in Jerusalem, it's going to become, we'll, we'll, we'll see that, it's going to be coming and there'll be messengers who bring the, 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 the money and all to them to care for them. But it's going to come in the name of the Corinthian, or rather, yeah, the Corinth, it's going to come in the name of the Corinthian church. It's not going to have a list of how much they gave and who gave. It comes in the name of the church, the body of Christ. Anytime we, by way of application, Anytime we do something for other people, which we do quite often from this fellowship, it doesn't come in the name of my name. It doesn't come in the name of the, of the leader who, whatever. It, it, it comes in the name of, of the brothers and sisters in Calvary Chapel, Geno Valley. It's all of us who are giving, and that's what he's talking about. Everybody gave. Everybody took care of them, and so the gift comes from them all. And so he says again in verse 14, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, but their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be an equality. There may be a time when they help you. You see, the Corinthian church pulls together to help them, but one day they may need, may need help from the Jerusalem church. Someday they may be the ones who supply for you, and they will. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And then he goes on in verse 15, As it is written, He who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. So Paul uses the account of God supplying manna in the wilderness for Israel. Every day they would go and they would take the manna that was there on the, on the, on the ground and it would supply their need Everybody had exactly what they they needed. Everyone had their exact needs met by God. God wants to meet our needs. Now, he doesn't intend to satisfy our every desire, but our every legitimate need. According to Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he often meets the need of his children to the generosity of fellow believers. He does not always make manna appear in the wilderness miraculously. He often supplies it through concerned believers. In Philippians 4, 14 through 16, you have done well that you shared in my distress. You Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. You took care of me when others weren't he said i was cared for you see god cares for us and faith and love are expressed through generosity and that's what paul is telling the corinthians you need to take care of those the church at jerusalem in luke chapter 6 verse 38 it says given it will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured To you. Some of us know what it's like to be without. Some of us know what it's like to not have, they used to use this term, they used to say, didn't have two nickels to rub together. A lot of you know what it's like to have very little material. Material. But also, a lot of you have learned what it's like to be cared for by God in special ways, spiritual ways. Blessings aren't always financial. They can come in a variety of ways. And very early in my Christian life, actually very early in my own life, I I began to learn from a father who had priorities, who taught me to have priorities. And my father's priority was to take care of his bills. And that's what my dad did. And my dad would pay his bills before he fed his family. That was my dad. And there were times that my mom would make mashed potatoes on Monday. And then the next day we had mashed potato pancakes. And the next day, I mean, she would, she would put together food and it would stretch for a week. And a lot of you went through a similar thing. You know, it's no complaint at all. It's just reality. When Marie and I got married, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. I was going to college, part-time job. She was working full-time. Didn't make that much money. We had two cars. We had uh, we had uh, an apartment payment. I was going to college as well as working part-time. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have things. You know, you know. We, we, Christmas came. Our first Christmas together. We had that Charlie Brown Christmas tree. I still laugh about it. Little cheesy. You know, we got you, you. If you wait till the last minute, you can get some good trees from the tree lot. And we did that. We waited till the last minute, went and got us a, a tree, and we put it up. It was three feet tall, maybe one of those droopy ones. We call it a Charlie Brown, kind of just laying there. So we kind of propped it up. We put a string of lights on it, too many lights. So we they were laying on the ground. And we had two presents, one for me and the other for me. She didn't get anything. <laughs> she got an IOU. And so. I still remember, and we made it look as pretty as we could, put a little star on top of it, and it was kind of leaning over to the side. And Marie and I walked outside, and we were in a little apartment with the bay window. We opened up the window, put our little tree in the front so all the neighbors could be thrilled, maybe have cars drive by just to look, I don't know. And so we're standing there. I still remember our first Christmas just holding each other, looking at this just going, wow, isn't that cool, our tree. And then we left, We had the window open. Then we left, and the next-door neighbor in the apartment had a 10-foot tree, you know, the white ones, and red and blue. And he had one of those lights that would change color. And, and underneath the tree, it was packed so high, you couldn't even see. And I remember standing there with Ray looking at his tree, and then I went back and closed the drapes. <laughs> I didn't want him to be jealous. I mean, we've been there. We've been there where we didn't have money to buy shoes for our children. We didn't have food to eat that that, that much. We ate, we never starved, thank God for that. But we didn't have extras. You've been there, many of you have. That's the way we started out. Most all of us, right? I had a $10, $10 sofa that had a spring that kept on coming out, so we had to put a comforter over it so we could sit on it. We, I made a table for Marie. I went to my Home Depot and found a little piece of wood, and, and I hammered it onto a, a stand, and we put a little lamp on it, and that was our lamp. We had a bed that was not a bed. We had a, a couch that folded out. That was our. That was what we slept on. And and when she was pregnant, she she was uncomfortable. So we had to go and buy a bed for her because she couldn't sleep anymore. It hurt her too much because it was so uncomfortable. So we went to get her a, a bed. And we were hippies, and so we went to get a water bed. And we got a water bed, and I still remember standing there at the store. She and I looking at, at waterbeds, and one was $25 a month, and the other was $20 a month, and I had to get the $20 a month because I didn't have an extra dollar and a quarter to spend in the month. Some of you know what I'm saying. I didn't have the extra dollar and a quarter for a bed, so I bought, her, uh, bought us uh, a bed that cost me $20. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. I grew to like macaroni and cheese from the box. It's good stuff. I eat it to this day, but my son Joseph will not eat it. If I want to punish him, we're gonna make you mac and cheese. He hates it because <laughs> he ate it so much. I can still remember we didn't we didn't have money for meat. You know, we had to, you have to get some protein. So we didn't have money for meat, but we were able to buy some. And, and then one, one one night Marie made dinner, she made tacos. And, and I put, I'm put i starting to eat it. And, and what is this? And I put it down. She, instead of putting red chili, she had put cinnamon in it. Cinnamon. And I was going, oh, because we, so I went and got a, a, what do you call it, colander. And, and I put the meat in it and washed it all, dried it all, recooked it. Because we couldn't throw it away. That was the only meat that we had. Been there, done that. Know what it's like. Know what it's like. But I also learned that there are things that matter more than material. That's when I started to learn what love is. I'll I'll calm down, okay. That's when I started saying, I may not have a present under a tree, and I may not be, Marie's wedding ring cost us $200. It was a little teeny diamond that you could hardly see. It looked like broken glass. That was our engagement in wedding ring. I couldn't afford anything, but I had everything. I had her, and I had my kids, and I had a bed to sleep in. And I learned, I learned, I learned, I learned it is more blessed to give than to receive. I learned what matters, and what matters isn't that you could have A nice car. There's nothing wrong with it. God knows that. And have a nice home. Thank God you could have that. Bless God for that. He's the giver of all good gifts. Thank you, Jesus, for that. No condemnation for that. Hope it doesn't sound like that. I don't believe that at all. If God blesses you, praise the Lord. If you want to buy, you have a hobby, you can afford it. Praise the Lord. What I'm saying is something different. What I'm saying is I've never... Talk to someone who's about to enter eternity. I've said this before. I've never spoken to someone who's about to enter into eternity, about to die, who's ever said to me, I wish I'd have bought that car. Never have. I wish I had nicer shoes. Wish I'd have gotten my hair cut at that place. Wish I'd have had that suit. I have just never heard that. You know why? Because what I have heard is different. It's usually something like, I wish I'd have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have told them how much I loved them more often. It's usually relational. I I gave up so much. I had what I wanted. But I didn't have anything. You give to the Lord first. He abundantly blesses you in ways you don't understand. And you learn what it is to just enjoy each other. You you learn what it is. And Paul was saying, care for those in, in need. God will bless you for doing it. It's your responsibility. You can live on less than you are right now. I know how to be abound, a and I know how to be abased, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the Lord says, and, and I love the scripture again, give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. The measure you use will be measured to you, given that way, and God said he will bless you. And I like the phrase, pressed down, shaken together, running over, God's blessings how many of you guys have ever been to Mongolian, Mongolian barbecue? Anybody here know what that place is? Some of you, not many of you. You ever get out? No, Mongolian barbecue is on Foothill in Claremont. It's a little dump. I like it. I've been going there for 40 plus years. And uh, you go in, and they, they will take your order. You sit at your table. And they will say, "What kind of meat do you want?" It's usually pork, chicken, or beef, and uh, so I always get the beef. And so they'll bring it, and the 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 meat is is real thinly cut, and it's and it's frozen, and so it's inside of a bowl. And so what you do is you go up, and they'll they'll have the different things that you put into it: celery, onions, uh, grass sprouts, and and uh, cilantro, different things, and but before I go there, I learned to do this 40 years ago. I'll get a napkin, and I'll put it over the cold meat, and I press it down. Because if you press it down, you can load it more with stuff when you're putting in the salary and things like that. So I, this scripture means something to me. <laughs> when he says, pressing down, shaking together. I get it, Lord. It's like me at Mongolian barbecue. Because he presses it down so you can get more. That sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> Mongolian barbecue sounds good too, right now. I shouldn't have brought that up. I'm hungry. How's God bless you? He presses it down and loads it up so it runs over. So it runs over. You can't outgive God. A lot of people haven't learned that yet. But Paul's trying to teach. The Corinthians, give. Your generosity supports their need. One day you may have a need, and their generosity will support yours. Make sure you give because generosity is rewarded with blessing. Proverbs eleven twenty there is one who scatters yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right. But it leads to poverty. So he says, give. It is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. The Lord will take care of you. The Lord always. Marie can say this, and she says it often. And I'll close with this thought. We may not have had much but we had everything we needed. We always have. God has never, never failed to supply my need. My God is able, my God is generous, my God cares for us. He always has taken care of us and he always will. And we learned a long time ago, if I trust the Lord and I'm satisfied and content in him, that's all that ultimately matters. Is that the contentment I cannot buy, but I can have by trusting him. And when you trust him, you will be content. You will be content with what you have. And you'll be blessed by God. Keep that in mind. Because this church, this church needed to be reminded, you have said you're going to take care of these people, take care of them because God will take care of you, and you need to remember that. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor David or Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, please visit our website at calvaryccv.org. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.